Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, our podcast series. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content at Open Banking Expo. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Oliver Prill, CEO of Tide, a business banking platform which last year formed a number of partnerships to improve its SME offering and also revealed its plans to invest in India with a full launch in the pipeline this year. But one of the biggest announcements from Tide uh, has been its move into open access, making its range of finance and admin products available to businesses without them having to open a Tide business account. So we'll delve into that a bit more later on. But first of all, welcome, Oliver, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to speaking. Great. Well, um, with that in mind, let's let's start with the basics, as it were. Can you tell us, for anyone who's listening and, and doesn't uh, know what Tide is, what you do, can you tell us what is Tide? What do you offer SMEs? Yeah, so we really solve right SMEs, the micro end of SMEs, which is sort of 95%. We solve their time problem they have with finance and admin, right? So very simply put, we make all finance and admin tools uh, work seamlessly together. So you can write an invoice, you can factor it, you can chase it. When the money comes in, you you know we will notify you. We attach that to the transaction, push all that into your accounting system, right? That's what we do. And so we save those micro businesses that typically don't have a finance function, right? So where the owner or their, their trusted lieutenant, right, spends a lot of time on finance and admin and has really other things to do, right? They're running the business. We really save them time that's why you know we've been relentlessly on this mission and uh, we're just under 400,000 uh, members right so 7% of all UK SMEs use Tide uh, and but that's really if you want the, uh, the, the the thing we relentlessly focus on so we don't do any consumer we don't do you know any sort of uh, bells and whistles outside that we're relentlessly focused on helping uh, small businesses save time and money through finance making their finance and admin work seamlessly. And I know that you joined Tide as uh, chief executives in 2018. So what, what was your experience up until that point? What, what was your own background, I suppose? Yeah, so I've always been in sort of banking, always touching SMEs. So many, many moons ago, uh, McKinsey, right? That's where I started and direct line, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, uh, um, I built and sold a bank in Germany, CNA Bank, extended credit tech before taking on um uh, the, the role at, uh, at at Tide, which at that stage was very small and nascent, but had actually made sort of initial, you know, to use investor speak, initial product market fit. Um, and I really saw that as an enormous opportunity to scale it, uh, both by the proposition, but also the way we approach, for example, we call our customers members, you know, we have a very member first mindset. So we look at the the whole sector very, very differently. And uh, for those that listen and uh, you know are more with established players, you know often SMEs are the things that are not you know the, the customers that are not well understood. They sort of fall between all the cracks. They're not particularly served well. And you know, I, I what really attracted me about Tide was this relentless focus on this sector and making you know the the the, the essential problem solving the essential problem these these entrepreneurs have so they can get on with what they love. Yeah, interesting to to hear about your vision for Tide. And um, well, look, something I 
touched on in my introduction was um, the open access offering, which you announced sort of towards the end of last year. Um, in fact, in November. Firstly, what um, what do we mean exactly by open access? Uh, we've obviously maybe we're a bit more familiar with you know the phrases open banking, open finance. So, what does open access mean? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, open access is really you know not something that we use with members, right? It's really something how we we internally label things. But to think of it very simply, Tide is a platform, right, where you can have all your finance apps. So even today. You have tight label products or so tight accounting, tight current account, or that where, you know, usually with tight invoicing, right? Where you have a, um, you may have a partner sort of providing sort of the, it as a, as a service, right? So for example, a tight current account is provided by ClearBank and their banking as a service arrangement. But as far as the member is concerned, they will look at the product and they will hold us accountable, right? So it's a bit like your iPhone. It may not be manufactured by Apple, right? But it's designed, priced, et cetera, by Apple. And that's so how the tight label product suite works. And then we already today allow partner label products onto the platform, right? So you have a lot of loans from from established banks uh, or the you know leading fintechs have their their lending proposition on us you know clearly you can go to third-party accounting software so we're already used to having partner label on there however what we did in the beginning we said to make all of this thing work seamlessly you need a tight current account and what happened was uh, we've been rather successful as we got to almost four hundred thousand, but we've only been really successful in the new to market segment Right? So people that are starting out a business, that's when people look for a business current account. And, you know, we've been very good. We help them set up their company. We do a lot of things to get them started in, in business life. Um, however, we, together with the entire sector, we have been extremely bad at getting people to switch, i.e., you know, I'm an established company. It doesn't necessarily mean a large company, but established business. And, you know, I'm with one of the big five banks where effectively the research is always the same, Right. The vast majority are unhappy, you know, unsatisfied. Depending on the research, somewhere around one third to fifty percent think of moving in the next year, and then the actual switching is something like three, four, five percent. Right. So that's been going on for years. We, together with many other players in the market, have really tried to get the switching game. We failed at it. As did everyone in the market. You see some of the numbers out there where people, you know, are looking at, oh, well, I got X switches. I would just say. Put that against the 5.6 million SMEs and you see how very small these numbers are. And that's because established businesses effectively don't want to switch, right? There's a lot of friction. There's the friction of telling your providers, you know, your business partners, uh, the the different, you know, uh, account details. But there's also things of not having multiple banking relationships because you don't want to spread your liquidity, right? A lot of them are liquidity staff. They don't have a treasury or anything like that. So anyway, cut a long story short, the established segment doesn't really switch at any scale. And so what we said is, look, uh, they don't want to switch, right? Don't make them switch, right? And so uh, we basically uh, said, we're well, through open banking, they can stay, right? Let them virtually switch so they can use their Barclays, their HSBC, their Lloyds, whatever their account is currently. They plug it into the Tide platform and they can do everything they could do with the Tide current account, right? It's just basically, and that's what we call it open access internally. It's basically open up the platform, right, to people that have third-party bank accounts, uh, but it's nothing more than saying in these in these workflows that I just said, for example, invoicing as a good example, I just said right, we ultimately attach it to the transaction, push it through. You will be able ultimately to do that with your HSBC, your, your, your Barclays, your, your Lloyds account without switching. And so very, very uh, simply put, 
you know, the tight current account of that proposition has been very successful. We continue to build on that. It will continue to take a very large share of the new to market segment. And this open access proposition, again, internal speak, but effectively you, you put your account um, into the platform using open banking. Um, um, it will be there for established businesses so they don't need to go through the physical switching process. It's interesting that you talk about the switching process and perhaps, um, uh, you know, how the, the industry had to come to terms with the fact that actually SMEs weren't really going to switch. I mean, um, do, in fact, maybe maybe that is a good question. Do you think the industry has come to terms with that or, or do you think we'll start to see more of these kind of open access offerings in acknowledgement that actually SMEs kind of want to stay put? Well, I think... Th- the good news, right, in the current UK sort of ecosystem is that there are actually players having giving choice, right? So as we know, there are some players that have made pretty, uh, let's say, clear statements of what they think of open banking. So you can probably safely assume that they are not in that camp of tide. Um, the big banks would have very little incentive to do that. Um, uh, players like us are very much in it. We've seen other players like Coconut, I think it was, uh, that, that sort of said, you know, they're going to go completely with their proposition, you know, on, on third-party accounts. So I think people have choice. And I think that's often for, forgotten by commenters. You know, they, they sort of this this notion still that we used to have the universal banks in the good old days or bad old days, if you want them, uh, with one business model, very undifferentiated. And at some stage in the future, there will be one for we never subscribe to that, right? We don't think the tight model will be for 100% of SMEs. However, it will be for a large number of SMEs. And that's what we do. And so we actually think if other players want to give SMEs choice, that's great. Um, so uh, it also depends then around the current account, right? So I think a lot of the choice gets also implemented through um, product verticals, right? That, that vertical players that just take one product and try to sell that to SMEs, for which they, you know, by definition don't need to switch the current account. So I think there will be a rich set, a rich ecosystem, um, and SMEs will choose from that. Uh, specifically to the current account, I think as far as SMEs is concerned, I think there's now enough proof out there that, that mass switching Right, so physically moving your account from one player to another, closing it at the old player, is something that will not happen at scale. Right, and, and that has less to do with the players. It has more to do is, despite enormous amounts of efforts and money spent on that, that will not happen at scale. It will may happen a little bit more, but it will be much more about virtual switching. And maybe that's the way you know open banking uh, in the end, um, you know, can introduce competition into the market. Because whether people virtually switch or physically switch, in the end, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Um, well, let's come on to talk about something else that you announced at Tide last year, and that's your plans to enter the Indian market early this year. Um, that will make it your first international market. So can you explain where you see the opportunity in, in India? Yeah, so, you know, Tide, as I said, 7% market share, right? And then, you know, the second question, usually people say, why are you not doing this anywhere else, right? So really, as you quite rightly say, India is, you know, a part of our internationalization strategy, one that we're very excited about, but it's not going to be the only play, right? So in the next couple of years, you know, we will take the platform increasingly international. Um, we think there are huge opportunities. Now, why why India? Um, if you look at a platform, right, where like our model, it makes sense where the market is particularly large, 
right? Because we offer a lot of diversity on the on, on the platform. And so going to Liechtenstein, however beautiful the dudes and so on may be, um, you know, it's just with 27,000 or whatever they have uh, inhabitants and I don't know how many SMEs, it's just not attractive, right? So we, we are attracted to large markets. And if you look at large markets, India is the, you know, arguably the largest market. Uh, 60, uh, 64 million SMEs. And the other thing that for those that listen and know India, it's, you know, the, the amazing thing about India is how very digital, a very significant subpart of that. So we estimate that around th- uh, 30 million of the, um, uh, so just under half of the SME population there is digital in the sense they have a smartphone, they do, they're used to digital transactions. That's in part driven by a very cheap mobile mind uh, um, uh, infrastructure uh, loads of government action, but EKYC, ADHA, etc. So the market is pretty, it's big, it's very ripe for it. Um, and then last but not least, we as Tide have a lot of experience in India. We already have a big uh, development center there in Hyderabad. Uh, we have a lot of Indian colleagues, some of us, including myself and the, the executive and leadership team, know India quite well. And so it was a good, good place to start, but it will be one of a number, but one that we are, you know, extremely excited about. And then what are your kind of long, what's your long-term vision then um, for Tide in India? So it, it's in India, we will, you know, the, the key thing is we will always serve local SMEs. So SME is in the end, while some of the themes are the same and we can transport our platform and other functionality in the end, you know, in the UK, what we have done, we've really fostered the, the UK entrepreneurship, right? And and that's what we do. Tight India will be for India, right? It's not, you know, a UK player trying to uh, to uh, to provide services. It will be a tight, tight India will be there for India. And we hope that we can do give our contribution and position tight very much like we're in the UK. So very member focused in the end perceived and actually by by you know by 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 small businesses by you know politicians by the society at large as some a, a player that wants to better and help entrepreneurship in the country that's what we will be doing in india and that's will also as we roll out to other countries will always be our mission so whether the platform and we can share our technology and all of that effectively sme is local and uh, um, to look at UK SMEs, for example, only 11% even trade with Europe, right, which is the largest, uh, um, you know, uh, trading partner. Um, so, you know, in the end, it will always be a local game. And we want to be, you know, a significant player, uh, um, you know, in that market, always with uh, our mission of helping people save time and money, uh, and always with a mission of member first, so doing the right thing for SMEs. Well, we'll certainly look forward to hearing more about the the other kind of markets that, that you're entering. But um, yeah, it's great to hear more about your plans for India, as you say, a, a great sort of um, starting point for the kind of international rollouts. Um, I wanted to move the conversation on a bit to a kind of a wider topic and to open banking in the UK more generally, because obviously um, the 13th of January 2022 marked four years since the introduction, the implementation of sort of open banking in the UK. So how far do you think the UK has, has come in that time? So I think there's a bigger theme, right, about open banking, you know, generally regulatory landscape and so on. I think the UK generally, I do have sympathy for it. There was sort of four, five, six, maybe even 10 years ago, there was a big innovation drive in the UK where the UK was seen as a real leader, right, in let's say, yeah, regulatory driven, regu- uh, you know, innovation. 
um, we've really lost that sport, right? We, I, I do have sympathy for that. And, you know, now with Brexit behind us, the government has made all the right uh, um, statements about uh, Brexit dividends and so on. But I would really encourage that this whole regulatory innovation being again at the forefront of things uh, is something the UK should assume. There are loads of great ideas, right, from, from the Khalifa report to others that give great um, great insight of where, where to go, but they need to be action, right? So I think there's a bigger strategic theme for the country. This is a key asset that you can, can have. We lost it a little bit in the last couple of years. Uh, we're now free of Europe, right? Uh, uh, wherever you stood on that divide, we can now move a lot more aggressively and we should. Specifically to open banking, um, I think the UK got itself a little bit constrained by the, the, the European approach, which is very regulatory driven, right? And so when I look back at open banking, one is I'm actually quite positive about what has been achieved. They, from SME, which is the key thing that I monitor, 600,000 sort of use that. That's 11%, right? That's not a bad metric. And um, they used it probably, there's no data on that, but I presume for very simple use cases like paying maybe HMRC, right? Or uploading the data into your accounting list. But nevertheless, they're getting exposure and familiar with it. So there's a good early start. I think the uh, uh, the the regulatory driven thing that there's no incentives for big banks in particular to provide proper APIs and make the thing work well I think is a real real mistake uh, it's something that free of Brussels I think the UK government should really look into making it a commercial uh, you know commercially based one and I don't mean uh, um, giving people the right not to do things but a bit like you know on, on roaming right no one is asking the uh, you know the the, the the telephone providers right to do it for free there's some there's some fair value exchange there um, that's provided and I'm convinced although tide would be the one that would be paying a lot on this right so I'm actually on the paying side rather than the receiving side I think we would we would see big banks being able to make this a business model. And, you know, in the end, we are market economies. And so in the end, we would drive from it. So I think the UK has an enormous opportunity to add a commercial layer, a sensible commercial layer to the regulatory open banking. So that's, I think, is a key one to really advance. Um, um, but otherwise, I'm actually quite, uh, you know, quite positive about it. Uh, and, you know, we wouldn't be doing the open access that we talked about if I didn't think uh, that, um, you know, open banking will have a material role to play on. You talked there about um, perhaps bringing more of a commercial angle in. I mean, it, open banking in the UK is at a bit of a, a crossroads, isn't it? Because we've got the um, sort of waiting, I suppose, for the next stage of the roadmap anyway. Um, and that may, of course, be overseen by an entity that isn't the open banking implementation entity as we know it today. So, um you know, do you see perhaps um, an opportunity there for that kind of commercial strategy to be brought in? Uh, but also, what else do you want to see delivered? So, first of all, you know, maybe I take a very simple level. You know, elected governments are there to make policy for the country, right? It's not sort of stakeholders and all that sort of thing. So, I think this is one where that's why I started with the bigger introduction. I think this is a golden opportunity for the government to actually deliver a Brexit dividend, which means it must be driven in my mind by government, at the highest level government policy and, you know, probably the treasury to actually make it, you know, make it happen. And then there may be various bodies to do that. I'm not a great fan of the, the CMA or, um, you know, 
certain agencies trying trying to this is just too big a puzzle to solve right the, the policy in a democratic society should in my mind come from the government and there's a golden opportunity the government took us out of europe right so they should now in my mind deliver the brexit dividends and this is one of them so i think one is i am not you know in the past these sort of industry initiatives have always been slowed down they are not as ambitious because by definition they're trying to accommodate too many stakeholders rather than take the the view that a government will take which is i need to deliver for society as at large and therefore i'm going to take bold policy decisions so you know i you know i i keep encouraging you know look let's look at the Khalifa report let's look at it the government by the way has said that it in all fairness and that they've said they would look at all of these things i just haven't really seen action from it and maybe it's coming right we we hope it will so i you know i think we should not get bogged down on micro details right of whether variable payments or something is a top priority we should really go in and say how can we develop the next generation of open banking that makes your open banking in the uk markedly different and markedly more advanced to psd2 in europe that should be the objective and with the objective of you know creating in my mind two things one is much much better outcome for smes that are effectively locked into their existing banking relationships once they're established um, and secondly creating a real competitive advantage for the UK by creating a real Brexit dividend. That that's sort of my view. How that then is done, you know, we are pretty flexible. You know, we were concerned by some of the measures around, you know, big banks trying to dominate the implementation body and so on. So these are the these sorts of things I think people need to watch. Um having said that, right, we learned at tide sometimes even if these sorts of things are around, you can still make huge impact, right? And so we will really drive hard on uh, making open banking a success for SMEs by by consuming it and investing a lot in it and we hope that the government really takes uh, um, open banking to the next level well let's um just for the last few minutes bring it back to kind of SMEs i suppose SME banking and and i'm interested to hear you know um what do you think is the biggest challenge facing SMEs this year i mean over the past couple of years, SMEs have probably faced some of the biggest challenges they ever will with with the pandemic and uh, and the kind of consequences of that. But um, what do you think twenty twenty two brings in terms of challenges, but maybe also in terms of opportunities that that SMEs can um, make the most of? Yeah, very good question. And of course, SMEs are very diverse, right? So it probably depends also a little bit by sector, but at high level. I think we have to look at the following data, right? So the SME population, January to last year, already shrank from 6 million to 5.6 million. Uh, that, in our view, was actually still an inflated figure because companies' house had stopped uh, uh, dissolving companies, right? They'd actually stopped that. So I think we think the underlying number, unfortunately, is more like 5 million. So we had huge death rates, right, in the SME population, much Better though than we had expected, right? Out of out of Corona, so the government support schemes did actually work quite well, but there's been you know uh, um, uh, you know a sharp decline. I mean, twenty year you know not seen in twenty years a decline in the in the SME population. So overall, fewer people are taking it, and existing businesses are you know um, are deciding to 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 move out. So the biggest challenge to my mind facing the SME sector is to a renewed drive for entrepreneurship and. Entrepreneurship is not something you can dictate, right? It has to come with opportunity. And so the sooner we have corona behind us, clarity on government policy on these things, that's uh, 
uh, you know, uh, then the drive should be how can we incentivize, etc. The government needs to tax higher. I mean, there's you know the, the, the public uh, finances are in in a very challenging space. One just has to be very honest about that. Um, however, you know, it's probably entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurs who then generate employment should be be ones that uh, uh, take the light burden of things. So there's, I think, the whole thing about how to grow the business and the sector. And then I think there are a couple of horizons coming on that are real opportunities for SMEs. So, for example, net zero, you know, you know, we have um, as a country committed ourselves to very ambitious targets. May not everyone may not have gotten that memo just yet, but they are very ambitious and they will require either changes or they will require very radical action. Given that 50% of the economy is SMEs, you can't do that without SMEs. So we expect in the next 12 to 24 months, a really big drive on net zero runs we're out of the, the sort of corona piece. It will be supporting that. So that's one that creates an additional challenge, but also a whole set of opportunities for SMEs. Um, uh, you know, and uh, those are probably the two that I would probably highlight. But it's, it's really worth saying that uh, the sector is very diverse, right? So you have sectors that are very high street focused that we need to digitize more, right? You have uh, the hospitality sector, which, you know, has, has taken a huge beating doing the whole uh, area. We have a whole sector now that is involved with COVID measures, right? Who will probably see their business decline as we have that, right? There's a whole testing industry and all of these sorts of medical services around COVID that will probably die away. So there will be a lot of structural changes like that, 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 that SME owners will uh, will take to. However, what we have learned at Tide is this is the beauty of the the entrepreneurs. When you let people get on with life and you create the right incentives, they will do it. So again, our notion there would be support the sector as much as you can, but give people the freedom to maneuver. And in particular, now let's not burden them with excessive taxation, but give them all the incentives in the world to drive the economy. Well, look, it's it's a really exciting time, both both for SMEs widely, but also for Tide, of course. So um, thank you very much, Oliver, for joining me on the podcast today to talk through all those kind of exciting opportunities and, and challenges coming your way. And we'll uh, look forward to hearing more at Open Banking Expo from you over the course of the year. Great, Ellie. Thank you very much for your time. Good conversation. My thanks again to Oliver Prill there for joining us on today's podcast. Great to hear from him and to hear more about Tide, of course. To listen back to other episodes of the Unplugged podcast series, go to the on-demand section on openbankingexpo.com, where you'll also find episodes of Open Banking Expo TV and other sort of live panel debates. So do catch up with all of those. For now, goodbye. <laughs>